Welcome once again to the Money Pot. I'm Nick Holland from Money 2020. We're on the floor of the Money 2020 conference in Las Vegas, and I'm joined by my colleague Sanjeev Kalita once more. Hi. Hi, everyone. How are you doing? So we have some guests in the room today from Basis Theory. We have Colin Luce, um, who is... The man in charge there? So they say. Okay. We also have Jordan Lamp, who is a, a veteran fintech friend. Yeah, uh, friend of the family. Yeah. No, I, I work at Basis Theory, too. You indeed do. Um, so we're going to talk about, obviously, tokenization and, I guess, really, the way that things are. Um, it, it, there is a challenge, right? Obviously, between data, security, and innovation. You want to have the ability to share data. You just don't want it to be intercepted. And I think... Tokenization has been proven to be pretty powerful as a way of resolving that problem. But um, let's let's just start on that then. So well, let's quick overview of like basis theory for our listeners who don't are not familiar with the company. Yeah, sure. So it's a data infrastructure company where we focus on using compliance requirements and the complexities associated with these various uh, and increasing in number compliance requirements to drive a better data security posture for companies, right? I think historically uh, the approach has been we must change our you know existing ways of working. We must you know do this new service to take data security more seriously. And we're saying right, there has to be a better way. And so part of our focus is you know really you know that shift left mindset and working with engineers and working with product people to unlock new products, new markets, new verticals, like innovation essentially to drive data security, which is, you know, a drastic change from the historical approach around, you know, this pointing of the finger. If you don't do this, this mm. bad thing's going to happen, right? And so, so, we're, it's, we're, so it's not a binary solution. There are shades here of, you know, there's nuances towards uh, the way you can handle data. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I get asked a lot, like, you know, as a non-technical co-founder, uh, you know, building a highly technical uh, platform, why, why that's a competitive advantage. And I think it's because, you know, the reason I started this business is, you know, the past... 10 to 15 years in the fintech payments ecosystem as a you know business person, I, I have that context. I've met these roadblocks, right? Like my internal nemeses were the suits, the compliance folks, the legal folks. And I actually think some friction there is healthy, right? Mm-hmm. You got to push the boundaries, but too often than not, you know, the innovative new distribution channels, the new revenue streams were getting shut down right. and, and we're focused on enabling them. And it is quite often the case, I think, that it's, you know, before you've got a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? So it's like, it's, you, you comply or nothing. Yeah. And, you know, if you look at the development teams, the way they build products, right, it's a very iterative approach. And I think from a new product, new vertical, new market perspective, that same approach should happen. Like if you want to test the viability of getting into payments, getting into healthcare, getting into this new region, why should you have to go back and build all this hardened infrastructure Mm -hmm. from a compliance perspective just to test the viability? Now, over time, you should invest in that, but we're enabling folks to go test, you know, in Mm -hmm. in days, essentially. Well, I guess as well, that you could jump in in a second, Sanj, but I, I mean, I th- you know, is, no one's starting with a greenfield opportunity here, are they? I mean, you've, you've already got systems in place, so you know you, you have to build based on what you already have. In uh, you know, it, it's it's not a case of rip out and replace for almost any. Uh, company in fintech or as you say adjacent industries healthcare whatever you know yeah i mean look at the trends behind you know embedding these various services whether they're financial services insurance and transactions into your flow um you know i think you know we're we've seen this unbundling over the past couple of years we're already starting to see the rebundling and what that requires is more ownership over your data and your compliance posture yeah. was there any uh, personal pain point that you felt that sort of put you on the journey towards basis theory 
Yeah, I mean, many, right, across my career at Yodley and Klarna and Figure. Like, I was getting shut down left and right. And mm -hmm. so, you know, my personal objective here is to, you know, break down these barriers for the next Colin who's trying to make a career in this industry. Mm -hmm. And 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 so, like, thinking about the next Colin, like, how might they be different than the, than the Colin that you are right now? Yeah, I think, again, it goes back to how can we empower the next Colin to, uh, you know, to really, you know, test the viability of, you know, his various ideas. I mean, again, like even at Figure at the, you know, the last company I was at, which was, you know, in the mortgage space, which is just more red tape and mm. compliance there than about anything else. Like, mm. you know, it was impossible for me to, you know, to, to understand how valuable, how productive this partnership could be without, you know, bringing in 10 folks from my side to look at it. And that was just not a scalable thing as a, you know, high growth company. I think we'll go with uh, next Colin who's going to be Ultra Colin. I think yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Two L's probably in his name. <laughs> Excellent. So, I mean, we're seeing, I mean, tokenization has been a big part of the payments industry for quite some time. Obviously, we've been around things like, you know, PCI compliance, so on and so forth. Um, Until the blockchain people showed up at the party and well, stole it. Or did they? <laughs> Maybe they borrowed it. I guess they've given it back now that, uh, you know, we're in this part of the cycle. But yeah. yeah. But I mean, you're obviously focusing on a lot of different industries as well. So, I mean, where are you seeing the real opportunities with the next sort of, I don't know, let's say you're at, you're at our show in Bangkok in two years' time, hope to see you there. What would you be showcasing there in terms of the, the roadmap? Yeah, I mean, I think this goes back to another big driver for us starting this business, right? Like the initial um, roadmap we started seeing was if you were a payments company, you had to have one of these, you know, sensitive data vaults, one of these token vaults. And, you know, our, our friends at Uber, our friends at Microsoft, our friends at Netflix started saying, well, wait a minute, I want to take more control over my data. I want my own payments vault, right? But then the natural extension that we started to see from there was this desire to put other types of data in that vault, right? Mm -hmm. um, whether it's regulated or not. And I think that was the, the aha moment for me. So, um, you know, I think uh, as we look at the landscape of these requirements, you know, whether it's GDPR or India's new personal data protection bill, mm -hmm. like this is going to expand much beyond payments. And I think that's actually, frankly, much more interesting as we think about, you know, all data and what that looks like right. with the same properties that have been applied via tokenization to PCI compliance, these, you know, properties around auditability, proving, you know, who interacted with the data when, right? Think about right to be forgotten in GDPR. Right. All of that is a click of a button, you know, if you handle the data the right way at the, you know, actual field level. Yeah. And I mean, absolutely. I think, again, sort of the, the, the use case for tokenization has been very well proven in the payments industry. I think in places like identity, there's, there's this nascent opportunity that's abundantly apparent. Yeah, I mean, it always blows my mind. Again, you know, if you think about it, you know, handling credit card data is, you know, PCI compliance is the most prescriptive of the compliance requirements. The fact there is no requirement today for handling SSNs here domestically blows my mind because I would much rather have my credit card stolen than my SSN, right? At the end of the day, my credit card gets stolen. Yeah, it's a little bit inconvenient. I right. got to call my, you know, card company, but I got a new card in the mail tomorrow. They take care of any charges. My SSN gets stolen. I've got six months of headache to deal right. with. Right. And, and I mean, on top of that as well, you're, you're, it was never designed for identity purposes, right? You used to actually say that on the cards. It, like, you just, it's not for, you, for that use case. And then we used it for the fundamental key for all identities. 
hundred percent. And I, I was actually talking about it earlier up on stage in my, my, my talk and in, in that, like, you know, I think we've sacrificed privacy a lot over the years as we've, you know, engaged with these various social platforms, right? Like Facebook's move fast and break things like that worked very well from a value creation perspective, right. but at the cost of our privacy. And we're yeah. just now paying the price it, for that. It's interesting though, how short people's memories are of things like Cambridge Analytica though. Yeah, I mean, even Target, right? All of us in the yeah. room remember that Target breach. I thought that was going to be the driver for people to actually start taking this stuff seriously. And, like, you know, we, we keep reading about these every week. Like, that blows my mind. Like, yeah. Yeah. How do you think about, um, like, a lot of times, like, increasing security can uh, degrade the user experience? Yeah. And, and like, I, I mean, the, is, is that a... Is that um is that true or not true or uh, I think it has been true. I mean that is a big part of what we're focused on, yeah. right? I think using I think that that is a, a maxim though. Is you've got one choice, right? And you've got this. So you've got you've got convenience or you've got security, yeah. and that there's. Again, this this sweet spot in the middle that's very elusive. Yeah, think about that product manager that's building this, you know, the next great product, right? And they're forced with this decision early on: Do I build with a security first mindset or do I not? And if there's no compliance requirement saying you must build with this security first mindset, they're going to choose the easier path right. every time. The best developers are lazy developers, right? <laughs> well, and and then also, I mean, on on top of that, from a, from an end user standpoint, you want it to be as convenient as possible, right? I mean, you, you want the UX to be you know, like sort of zero onboarding processes. Yeah, I mean, Jordan and I talk about this all the time internally. How can we make working with encrypted data or ciphertext as easy as plain text? How do we make it so mm. that that product manager doesn't have to make that decision? Because if you ask them all else equal, would you rather take the more secure path? Of course they would. It's just, mm. it's counter. It's anti to, you know, what their objective is, which is, to your point, delivering a great product experience to the end user. So yeah. how can we bridge that gap and say, you don't have to make that sacrifice? Mm. So, so I'm imagining the answer might be tokenization. We certainly believe so, but I mean, I think it's 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 tokenization. It's encryption at the core. It's tokenization as this layer on top of it. I, I like to talk about it as a, a communication layer, a way to interact with the data. But then it's all the ancillary services on top of it, right? I think that's the other challenge we have. Is there's this, you know, um, uh, this association with encryption that it means it's locking your data away, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and it, that doesn't have to be, you know, there's really cool advanced technologies like fully homomorphic encryption and some of the stuff, you know, companies like Triple Blind are doing, yeah. which is like really interesting. Yeah. Um, the challenge is like for analytical purposes, those are awesome, you know, technologies. I think for the real world operational use cases today, mm. you have to think about how you can enable um, privacy enhancing like experiences in the operational use case. And that's where it's all these services on top of the tokenization that we've invested in things like being able to search over your encrypted data, being able to fingerprint your data for deduplication purposes, being able to proxy your data out to third parties to share the data externally, being able to programmatically permission access to your data internally on a least privileged by default basis based off of the actor, the system, the user, you know, the business. Mm. And, and a question that comes to my mind is that, um, and it actually it comes to me because of that shirt you're wearing, peace, peace love, love, and data. data. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 sort of makes me make me think about I was this. Just say, they have some of the best swag at this. I, I, okay, can, I, can I get one of those shirts? Of actually, course, yeah. Of course. And 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 um, going back to like the '60s, you know, the way that society thought about so much changed completely. Uh, do you feel like we're going to be at a point where the way that society thinks about data or user experiences are, are 
security is going to change in a drastic way? Yeah, 100%. I mean, we take a lot of our inspiration both for these shirts, but everything we do from the 60s and the anti-war movement. I mean, the other aspect of that generation was the green movement, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I talked about this with someone earlier today. If we all here believe that data is the new oil, then encrypted data and Mm -hmm. ciphertext is like the output of, you know, nuclear fusion, right? It's clean, it's safe, it's scalable. It's all those properties of clean energy. But the same thing, the the friction we see with developers yeah. is the same friction the green, you know, the green yeah. movement folks felt back in the 60s. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, obviously we had a pandemic recently. Touchwood. It's gone away. I yeah, about that. You know, clearly I think it became abundantly apparent that you couldn't go to the office anymore. And you started, from a security standpoint, there were conversations about zero trust and identity being the new perimeter were, you know, brought to the forefront, right? So, I mean, how, how much has the needle moved permanently because of the pandemic towards tokenization and dealing with data in a, in a far more comprehensive manner than before, rather than just locking it behind firewalls and VPNs? Yeah, I think it's been a bit of an accelerant, again, on the priority list of, you know, drivers towards it. I, I probably wouldn't put it at the top. I mean, yeah. again, I think, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, I think this, you know, notion of embedding your products and services into other platforms, other distribution channels, you know, these, um, you know, uh, unified transaction experiences, connecting multiple partners, the ability to, you know, buy something one click from a streaming yeah. service, like that stuff, those trends, I think, are driving it a lot more than the pandemic. Yeah. But but it, it, it certainly helped a little. And I would also say to build on that, you know, the unified experience, the, the, the focus on product and realization that as a company, I should not be investing in anything that isn't going to drive the value of my mm-hmm. core my core product. I think that adoption, that mindset has also fueled not just what we're doing, but I think uh, a lot of the trends recently in fintech is just kind of the verticalization, the specialization, the ability to tie all that together in a beautiful infrastructure that allows you to do things that, quite frankly, you couldn't have done even five, six, seven years ago. So yeah. I think those are one of those things that driving yeah. it forward. Yeah, and I, I actually think the you know the current macroeconomic uh, you know macro environment has actually been a driver towards this too, right? If you think mm-hmm. about it, tokenization, well taking a step back, right? Historically, compliance has been viewed as a cost center, right? And, you know, uh, in this environment, everyone's cutting costs. But I think if you flip the script and say, hey, if you actually take a proactive approach to compliance, to security, it's one of the few technologies that can actually both help you unlock new revenue and grow your top line, but also start to optimize costs on the bottom line, right? And I think any technology that's going after both the top and the bottom are very top of mind for organizations today. And, and um, sort of, I mean, actually, both of you were there in the early days of Money 2020. And back in the, actually, Nick, uh, all of us, we, we were there at, 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 in the early days. and With, with the OGs, yeah, 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 despite right. meaning yeah. old gits. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and back then when, um, like, I put together panels on tokenization, for example, the tokenization was about tokenizing, like, the payment rails. Mm-hmm. And there you have use cases that are known, you know that the data is going to be within these rails and it's like much more like it is a closed box. Mm. But I think the tokenization that you guys are talking about now is like much more open box, um, which makes very different design decisions, don't you think? Or I mean, like, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And again, I think that's also a big, you know, differentiator between encryption and tokenization. We get asked yeah. all the time, why tokenization over encryption? And the reality is we leverage encryption at the core. But again, tokenization, as I talked about earlier, it's that that communication layer, that way to interact with that data. Again, yeah. whether that's they, they are symbiotic. or externally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I also think, too, it's like 
as people started to understand and start thinking about tokenization less as like the actual token and, and Colin and I, I, I'm a big fan of the word abstraction, probably more so than he is, but being able to have this abstraction layer that opens up new possibilities and makes you start thinking about business models differently. Mm-hmm. Like when we went through uh, at my former company, when we were submitting for the federal reserves, faster payments, the blueprint, you know, that really started kickstarting me, the power of tokenization, just thinking about like bank account portability. Mm. And so when we start thinking about this abstraction layer as being an enabler as opposed to just being a pure compliance or security play, that's when I think things get really, really interesting. I think that sort of that abstraction, I think, is a very important point because um, the way that you communicate something actually has huge implications on whether it gets adopted and how long it gets it sticks around. And you're 100% true. And, you know, as somebody that's kind of responsible for helping, like, communicate and educate the market on tokenization, I think one of the challenges that we have is that tokenization is an abstraction. And an abstraction, by definition, is hard to define. Mm. And so I think as we continue to kind of push the envelope, the more that we can do to kind of shine a light on some of those use cases or even the business reasons why um, companies are really taking a hard look at this is, is something I think we can yeah. we can continue to do a better job of. So let, let's dig into that a little bit, some of the use cases. I mean, clearly you've got a really sort of diverse bunch of clients out there. Where are you seeing some sort of interesting use cases without actually having to name any companies? Yeah, so let's take uh, InsureTech A as an example, uh-huh. who underwrites their own insurance policies, but they actually also resell and frankly sometimes make more money reselling policies from the big three, right? But they want to own that single unified customer experience, right? And so imagine you go to InsureTechA.com and you say, I want home, auto, life, and pet insurance. And InsureTech A says, I actually only underwrite pet insurance, but Mm. you seem like a very valuable customer, right? And so from a a user experience, I get a quote for all four policies. I give you my credit card number. And what's actually happening in the background is they're processing the pet insurance payment through their payment processor, probably Stripe. And then for the other three policies, they're actually using Basis Theory's secure rails to go out and just buy you policies. So it just three. Com- compartmentalizes it in a way that's very secure for them when they still get to keep the veneer of their brand on top of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, again, I think, you know, uh, there's a lot of talk about payments optimization, payments orchestration, like big fans of those. I think the market for those is very, 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 very narrow, um, uh, and especially from an adoption perspective. So, you know, we focus on helping enable companies to think of new, innovative distribution channels. And then once we're in there, they say, well, now that you're in here, we might as well optimize our costs or at least try and get back some leverage from, you know, our processing partners by owning our data. Um, so I think, you know, that's a really interesting example in the insure tech space on the, you know, e-commerce side, we're, you know, working with, um, you know, uh, some, you know, pure play e-com merchants, you know, marketplaces, anyone who wants to, you know, own their data, uh, if they're providing services to other companies, this idea of bringing your own processing relationship, right? It's all about flexibility. One of the things that we talk about too is, uh, there are a lot of companies out there who have done fantastic things. Stripe is obviously one as well, but there's still limitations with a lot of the PSPs that are out there. So when we talk about kind of unstriping yourself, it, it really is decoupling the kind of vendor lock-in that mm. you have with uh, your payment service provider by taking control of that cardholder data. And then you don't have that vendor lock-in anymore. You don't have that, they don't have that, they no longer have that leverage over you. And so as you're starting to think about, to, to, to Colin's point earlier, as you start thinking about how am I gonna go get that new market? How am I gonna go release that new product? How am I gonna go get that new partnership? 
it's more and more coming to the forefront that your PSP is the limiting factor behind there. Right. And so if you can decouple yourself from your cardholder, or sorry, you, you can decouple your cardholder data from your payment service provider, you have choice, you have opportunity, you have options that quite frankly you probably didn't have before. Yeah. And so we actually see a lot of our companies coming to us with that simple notion, that first play. And then to Colin's point, it ends up being like, oh, now I can do that. Well, or imagine you're a you know large streaming service and you want to launch a you know uh, a, a shoppable you know ads platform where you can enable a single click buy experience for your users. It's very difficult to pull off, but you know if you start to think about you know secure Rails tokenization, now all of a sudden you can start passing you know data that you have stored because you have a you know subscription relationship with that customer and pass mm-hmm. that off to a merchant uh, or retail partner and enable right. you know one click buy experiences that you know one take you out of PCI compliance, but it also takes you out of the transaction flow and absolves you from merchant of record risk and right. everything that comes with that. I mean, it's, it truly enables embedded payments in T-commerce or wherever you want to have it as well. For, Absolutely. For streaming provider B. Yeah. <laughs> InsureTech A and streaming provider B. Yeah. Wait till we get into payments platform C. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's been the most surprising client or category that you've had to come up with a solution for? We can talk about, because we we talked quite candidly on Sunday about sort of the porn industry and gaming and cannabis and all these kind of like, again, markets where it's been extremely problematic for them to be, the risk of them being I'll give you an example of a partnership I recently saw. We have nothing to do with the, you know, we're we're not involved in it whatsoever, uh, which is Uber got, did a partnership with Leafly. Right. And mm-hmm. imagine you are using right. Uber Eats to order your you know, delivery dinner and you happen to want a pack of joints to come with that. I think there has to be some secure data role there where Uber, there's no way they're processing, you know, yeah. that transaction with the, the dispensaries. They're, they're mm-hmm. passing that data off to Leafly mm-hmm. to go process that transaction. Right. And so mm-hmm. I think that that is a really interesting use case. I mean, it, it does seem like a really big opportunity as well. I mean, the, the conversations around, again, it's still <laughs> occurring that. The, the dispensaries just can't find payment solutions. It's yeah. still very much an analog business model. Yeah, I mean, look, I saw today that Uber just launched, um, you know, prescription drug delivery via some directive from the White House to deliver Paxlovid to, mm. you know, COVID customers. Mm. Now, I think if that expands beyond that, there has to be questions around HIPAA and how all that plays into it. And so. but, I mean, tokenization is the solution there again, back to that compartmentalization so that you, you are de-risked from any exposure to... Um, you know, non-compliance. And, and let's face it, the, the regulatory landscape is not going to get any easier. Yeah, and again, I think we focus a lot from a product development perspective on, you know, we're talking a lot about now like these external third-party data sharing use cases. But I think internal use cases around sharing data is, you know, just as interesting, if not more interesting. Right. Again, I think that's a hard sell to go to a CISO today and try and sell a, you know, data security platform from scratch though. But if we can go in through the business folks, the product development teams, unlock these use cases, we're already in in there, we can start to have these conversations. Right. It's, the, it's, the, the it's, traditional way of, you know, hey, I, I keep all my data in this encrypted database is great, but then when business unit A or B or C needs access to that data, they ping one of the engineers, they download that data, and then now you have copies of that data flying all around your organization. How can you have a, a single source of truth with data being tokenized at the field level and permission such that you have this, you know, least privilege by default 
database, mm. but then say, hey, marketing can access only email address. You know, they can't even know an SSN exists. They get a 404 if they make a request, whereas underwriting, they have to get access to the SSN to go do KYC or go to the credit check. And so they get it to access that. And customer service, they get a masked version, right? So it's actually somewhere in between where they need to, you know, just access the last four digits of an SSN because they're looking a, a customer up based on that information. Mm. And so I think that's where you start to get really interesting around actually helping companies, um, you know, increase their security posture. And, 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 you know, just to be like a bit, bit, uh, the devil's advocate, if you will. Yeah. But like, <clears throat> I mean, that, that all I sounds see like, growing from your head. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they, they've always been there. <laughs> Retractable. Yeah. Yeah. Smart. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I mean that all, that all sounds good, but like, does it really matter to the end consumer? Like, for example, if you know, how 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 do you talk about what you're doing to like your dad or your grandparents? Yeah, look, or, uh, my take is consumers don't give a rip about. Uh, privacy until they do until they do right like again Facebook's a great example we turned that into a multi-hundred billion dollar company by sacrificing privacy and now we're starting to feel the pain of it every time a company gets hacked for that seven day period consumers give a rip about privacy and data security and then they forget about it again right we Mm. we just talked about Target like that same thing applies but I think there's also a a breach fatigue as well I mean it's just it's just an everyday thing I I used to work for uh, a a publication called uh, Data Breach Today. Yeah. Not knowing that it would be a data breach every day. <laughs> I, I used you know? to I used to send Jordan article links to to data breaches in Slack, and finally he called me. He's like, "Dude, I don't want ten of these every day. Like, it doesn't it doesn't well, it's, help it's, me. It's it very old me. news, right? Yeah, it's like, 100%. so it's you know that that's it, but but you know it's 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 incredibly problematic. Yeah, it's that learned helplessness. You know, yeah. like there, there's there's this really uh, uh, sad and depressing study that somebody did. He was a psycholo- psychologist. He actually put a dog in a box where it couldn't move and it got shocked enough where it just laid down and gave up. Like, oh, wow. and I think that that is the mentality that we can kind of start correcting, not just us in general, but there's a lot of really cool companies out there that are taking these vertical slices to try to tell a bigger story where if we can start at the, at the, at the to Colin's point, if we can shift the farthest left possible, get as close to the, as, uh, as we can to the data, um, to the practices and not have to change the way that anybody really has to work. Right. That's where change happens, not by regulation, not by asking people to go back and re-platform, re-architect, uh, get back into the code base. It really can start at a mm-hmm. much more, I think, uh, a foundational and helpful area than, than, than other ways, but doing okay. it top down. But I guess the long game is that it does go hopefully back to a code level and a mindset yeah, that is secure. One hundred percent, right? My my take is the traditional or historical view on this is we will solve these compliance requirements and complexities by throwing humans and controls at right. it, right? And I think as they continue to proliferate, these organizations are going to say, "I want to start actually absolutely. programmatically solving this. And I want to throw code at the problem as right. opposed to bodies and because controls. it's diminishing returns when it comes That's down right. to human capital for That's sure. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Well, gentlemen, I think our time is up pretty much. So uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. This is such an interesting topic. And I really think it's, you know, again, um, it's becoming ever more prevalent and in its importance. So, you know, I think it's bang on right now. Really good times. Really appreciate it. First podcast. Success. Oh, wow. We covered what? a lot First of ever? ground. First ever. We Damn, covered man. a lot yeah. of ground. Yeah, well, let, let's talk again. I mean, again, I love it. Yeah, yeah, let's absolutely do that. So, again, um, Colin Luce, Jordan Lamp from Basis Theory, thank you so much for joining. Sanjeev, as ever, thank you for being my co pilot. I'm Nick Holland from Money 2020, and we'll speak to you soon. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Thanks.